You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I pray that God uses this message to touch your heart. Well, I'm going to tell you a story tonight, a story, a brief story, and then we'll close out with um, another song together. It's a story about two kings and two kingdoms. You may be familiar with this story. It begins about... In the 30s, 30 BC or so, there was a man by the name of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great became king over Judea or Israel. Herod's called great not because he was necessarily a very nice man, but because he did pretty amazing things. He was known for being quite the architect. He built the temple in Jerusalem or, or redesigned it. He built places like Masada and the Herodian a lot of ancient wonders of the world are attributed to, uh, to Herod's great architecture. Herod became king because he married a Hasmonean princess by the name of Mirame. And actually, she was a descendant of Judas Maccabees. We talked about Hanukkah this past Sunday. She was a descendant of the Maccabean family. And Herod became king. He married her and even though he was a great man, even though he had tremendous wealth and had all the resources, even though he was very powerful, he was very paranoid. And so Herod began his reign by killing all of her brothers and sisters and all of her descendants because he was afraid of anyone that would dare take his throne. So for many years, Herod oppressed the Jewish people. He held them in bondage and he held them in slavery so that no one would dare challenge him. He was known for killing many rabbis and prophets. And that's the Herod the Great that we know of, a genius, but yet a very mad man. During the end of Herod's rule, there came another king. You probably have heard of him. We know him as Yeshua or Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem towards the end of Herod's reign. And this particular king was very different than Herod. He didn't have all of the bells and whistles and the big kingdom or anything like that. He came from very humble beginnings. The first people to herald him as the king were just shepherds, just regular old shepherds. But Jesus had something in common with Herod, actually, besides being a king. Jesus was also quite the architect, or at least his father was. He was a carpenter or an architect, as some might say. But we don't really know of any of the buildings that Jesus built. It's kind of interesting to think about. Maybe he built some. Maybe his father built some. Maybe his father even built some of the things that, that are attributed to Herod. We don't know for sure. But Jesus was clear that he was building something very different, a very different kind of kingdom. The trouble was, was that now we have two kings. There were two kings simultaneously existing in the same space. And for Herod, this caused a problem. You probably know the story. There were a few magi who came from the east, probably from Babylon. And they knew that there was a new king, that the king of the Jews was born. 700 years before this moment, there was a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 about this new king. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so these magi came from a foreign country. And where would they go to find a king? They would go to the capital and to the palace. But they didn't see the king. They saw Herod instead. And so they asked Herod, Herod, where is the king of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come to worship him. Well, remember, Herod was a paranoid man. And Herod hated the thought that there was another king that quite possibly could vie for his throne and power. And so Herod did something despicable. He ordered the execution of all babies in Bethlehem to and under because he was afraid that his power would be taken from him. Even after doing this, Jesus was able to escape. He escaped with his parents to Egypt and Herod died shortly after in 4 AD. And Herod died and his kingdom was dispersed. It was split up. It was given to other people. And Jesus grew up. And Jesus grew up, and even though he grew up and made it clear that he wanted to be a different kind of king, the people wanted Jesus to be the kind of king that they thought of. They wanted him to be the king that would rule politically, that would, um, that would fulfill their government's needs. That's what they expected of Jesus. But Jesus made it clear that that's not the king he wanted to be. Jesus says in John chapter 10, this is, this is his type of kingdom. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. See, Jesus understood that there was a thief. There was another king. But Jesus wasn't thinking of Herod or of any of the other descendants of Herod or of any other political king. The thief, the other king that Jesus spoke of was Satan, was the devil. I know we don't like to talk about Satan. It's kind of creepy, right? We're like, oh, that's, that's weird. We don't want to talk about that. But Jesus talked about it because it was real. It was a real threat to his kingdom. It was a real threat to the people in his kingdom. So Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You don't think about that, do you? You often don't think about, oh, I, I, I sin, I'm, I'm a slave to sin. But really, people sin not so much because of, of impulses as much as because they're driven by it. They're a slave to it. People who have been rescued, young girls who have been rescued from prostitution, slavery, oftentimes revert back to it because there's, it's enslaved. They're enslaved in it. So Jesus says a slave doesn't have a permanent place in the family. But a son, well, a son belongs to the family forever. And then Jesus says this, so if the son, and he's referring to himself here, so if I set you free, you will be free indeed. You see, this is why Jesus came. This is what the song that Cindy was just singing about. He came to make men free that no longer they live under the bondage of slavery, no longer would they have the limited choices of life, thinking that the only thing that can solve their problems are what's in this world. Jesus came for a different reason. 
On one occasion, he was reading in a synagogue in Capernaum, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. This is found in Luke 4. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' mission statement. This was what he was all about. I know there are some people that look at this and they think, well, that's great, that's for 2,000 years ago. What does this really have to do today? I don't really watch the news very much anymore. It kind of sucks the life out of me, I found, and steals my joy. But there are certain things you can't help but hearing. Even today I was listening to the news and they're still talking about this story, still talking about what was happening in Ferguson and um, now the NYPD, and it's such an awful story. And if there's ever any evidence that we live in a world where there still is a kingdom of darkness, it's this story right here. You know what I think about with the kingdom of darkness is that when you choose a side inside the kingdom of darkness, you still are in the kingdom of darkness and still left with an unsatisfactory feeling. I don't know what, if you've chosen a side in this particular story, but there's really no side worth choosing. Each side, there's no hero in the story. There's no hero. Every side was at fault for not being loving, not being patient, not being kind, not being charitable to each other, being compulsive and impulsive more than anything else. And even the protests are kind of sad as well. The burning and the looting, it speaks of a fallen world. And pretty soon, probably... There will be some politician that will make uh, some sort of legislation to solve the problem. Because that works, right? All the time that works, right? We turn to our politicians to solve the problem, but the problem is is that that's not a problem they can solve. Because the issue is not a gun control issue or more guns or uh, more sensitivity training or more police training or anything like that. The problem is is that there's a bigger issue. Some of those things may be a Band-Aid, but it's a Band-Aid on a big, gaping hole. There was a man named Benjamin Watson. He's a, or there is a man named Benjamin Watson. He's an NFL player, and he spoke, and this, this has gone viral. You've probably read this, and I'll read parts of it. He spoke about the situation in Ferguson this way. He said, I'm angry. I'm angry because the stories of injustice that have been passed down for generations seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I'm frustrated because pop culture and music and movies glorify these type of police-citizen altercations and promote an invincible attitude that continues to get young men killed in real life, away from safety movie sets and music studios. I'm fearful because in the back of my mind... I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I could still be looked upon as a threat to those who don't know me, so I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because the looting, the violent protests, the law-breaking only confirm and in the minds of many validate the stereotypes and thus the inferior treatment. I'm sad because another young life was lost from his family. The racial divide has widened a community and is, and a community is in shambles. Accusations, insensitivity, hurt, and hatred are boiling over, and we may never know the truth about what happened that day. I'm sympathetic 
because I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. I'm offended because of the insulting comments I've seen that are not only insensitive but dismissive to the painful experiences of others. I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless because I've lived long enough to expect things like this to continue to happen. I'm not surprised, and at some point my little children are going to inherit the weight of being a minority and all that it entails. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I know that while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and grandparents. I see it in my personal relationships and teammates, friends, and mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, the Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind That is the story of the gospel. A man, a God became man so that we could have a transformed heart, so that we would not have to look inside to see the darkness of the kingdom and think that our only choices were limited to this dark world. Instead, he offers agape love, a love that is unconditional, and the hope of a resurrection. Galatians 4 says this, it says, but when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. How many of you have uh, listened to a politician who has said to you, I love you? How many have said to you, you are like a son to me? How many have said, hey, I want to give you everything that I have? None, right? Usually it's the opposite. Usually it's, I'm going to make a law and I want to be exempt from the law that I make for you, right? But Jesus offers us something different, something outside of this world, something better than we could ever hope for, and that is to be a son of God and to experience the fullness of what it means to be a son of God. That's for us. That's not a pipe dream. That's not something that's out for 2,000 years ago. That's, that's what God offers us here and today. That's the, the true story about two kings. There are two kings and there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And you are always welcome. You are always offered the kingdom of light. It is yours, yours today.
I want you to pray with me for a few minutes here, and then we'll close with one last song. If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you have never given your life to him, this is for you today. And you don't have to pray along with me, but you are more than welcome to. If you are a believer, know that your sonship is always being assaulted. Your right in the kingdom of God is always being assaulted. But today, you need to realize that you are a child of God. You are lavished with the love of the Father. You are given his kingdom. You are an heir with Jesus. So today, Jesus, I welcome you into my life. And you can pray right alongside with me. I welcome to take all of the things that you have offered me. I trade what I have and the rags of what I have for what you have and the glorious riches of what you have. As I look in my world and I see the things uh, that are happening and all of the terrible tragedies, I choose to believe the truth that this world is not it, but that there is one greater than the world, and there is one who has overcome the world. And so, Jesus, I give my world to you. I embrace your kingdom. May your kingdom come in my life. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. I thank you for becoming a man just like me, that I can become more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.